Wences, what's going on? Is that how you say it, Wences? Yeah, yeah, that's how you say it. I'm actually uh, very surprised because a lot of people get it wrong the first time. <laughs> oh, really? That's strange. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I actually didn't know you. It was somebody else who set this up, and I kind of caught the tail end of it and wanted to get you on. Um, how'd you get into D and D? Um, you know, I had friends from high school who played it. Um, I had the same group of friends for like the past 10, 15 years now. And we always played trading card games, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic, Dragon Ball, Pokemon, everything. And, uh, they had a Wednesday game back then and they always tried to rope me in. But for me, it was like, it's, it's like, it's over my nerdy level to, to play, sit down and play D&D. And, uh, and I asked like simple questions like, oh, like, you know, how long is it usually? They're like, oh, our sessions are like six hours long. I'm like, ah, man, I can't, I can't swing that. And, um... Yeah, uh, they always brought it up every time we hung out. Um, usually Wednesdays was their was their home game. So I would always get the same text every Wednesday, like, you should stop by, man. You don't have to play. You know, we have a sheet in case you want to. Just hang out and lurk. And um, I never paid much mind to it. And then the pandemic hit, you know, didn't really have much to do. We were on lockdown. Um, and I stumbled across uh, Critical Role. And that's kind of what uh, what started it for me. Um, I didn't know the extent of how D and D could be uh, be played. I mean, just RPGs in general, and then seeing you know the voice of McCree, the voice of Ellie from Last of Us, and the voice of Thor. I'm like, oh my god! Like I was so like narrow minded. I didn't see the big picture and all these amazing stories that you can tell. So just kind of just bounced around from Critical Role to uh, Dimension 20 to Dungeon and Daddy's podcast and, you know, just got well-versed in D&D and finally took my crack at it during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I was a pandemic starter as well. Uh, two things I wanted to touch on. One is how do people get over this being extremely nerdy? Like, like uh, you know, when I grew up, I, I kind of was hanging around the jocks, but... When I found D&D, it was later in life. But if I would have found it like at 17 years old, I probably would have had the same inclination. Like, man, this is like a little too nerdy for me. But when you get yeah. to play in it, and it's like, oh, man, if you get into this, it doesn't seem nerdy at all. It just seems like a, you know, a right. adventure. So how do people get over that? Um, I think it's mainly just a stigma around it. You know, it's uh, when people think of D&D, people think of, you know, these old men sitting around in a table just you know rolling dice uh they don't really see stories that can be told or these crazy characters that people come up with um i mean you really just got to dive in and it, it's also the people you surround yourself with i mean if you have a good core group of friends that you know are willing to try it without knowing anything about it um, i think that's probably the best bet and if you don't have a group of friends there's plenty of groups now um, on Facebook, that's where I found my first game was a Facebook, a group finder, Facebook. Um, there wasn't start playing games yet. I don't believe that website was up yet. So that's how I stumbled across it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I had, <laughs> this kind of reminds me of uh, one of my friends. Uh, one of my friends is more on the jockey side, I guess you would say, and is not really that nerdy, yep. but I guess kind of just poking them like hey man you know it's not that bad you just got to try it out it's not it's not terrible and um yeah just spent like two hours helping him make a character i was like just think of anything anything you want if i have to homebrew it that's fine and 
He's like, yeah, I want to be a werewolf. And I was like, well, okay, what do you want to do with it? And it just kind of like snowballed and had this long conversation of what they want for their character. And, you know, I think I think to answer the question with like just one specific answer is just surround yourself with a good group of people. If not, reach out to a group finder or go to startplayinggames.com. There's plenty of games on there and plenty of DMs. But, yeah, I, th- I think the nerd stigma behind it strongly should be different <laughs> i don't think it's that viable in 2022 anymore but i i still see it slightly around even when i bring it up to family members you know they're like it's doesn't seem like you would play that and i don't know what that means but yeah <laughs> yeah we're, we're starting to see kind of more people and it might be because of critical role and i'm not sure if you're familiar with jocks machina which is kind of like yeah 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 it's just kind of like joe maganello and travis they big show this. yeah yeah they, they started that yeah um, so it's getting more mainstream, more, more people are doing it. What was that website you mentioned? Because I've never heard of that before. Uh, startplayinggames.com is what it is. I think it's .com or .gg or something like that. But it's a place where there's uh, paid DMs that run games, but it's like one of the easiest websites to find a game. Um, I think you can filter it by price, and I, I believe there's some free games for new users. I believe, not 100% sure, but... But yeah, I guess there's a website for that now. I've seen some other uh, D&D TikTok creators promoting it or doing ads for it. But I just hopped on Facebook, typed in group finding D&D, and that's that's how I found my home games. Yeah, it was interesting because yesterday I was talking to uh, a TikTok user by the, name, by the handle Floki, and he couldn't find anybody to play with. Oh, really? So his friend, uh, she's a female... Um, mm. she decided to go on TikTok and just basically cold call people. Yeah. And she's like, hey, who wants to play? And they got like 50 people or, you know, a crazy amount of people, and they started a game that yeah. way. And then we put up Discord, and we just started doing right. one-shots. And every time we put one, we've probably done three now. But every time we put, like, who wants to do one-shot, it fills up within minutes. So, like, the oh, yeah, community is legitimate when it comes to d Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even on our uh, Ready, Set, Crit Discord, we have channels for looking for dm looking for players and um when we did our charity stream which you guys obviously helped out on thank you so much for that as well um you know i came up with the ideas uh you know i want to do this a lot more often it was really fun to see not not only just uh, content creators but i'm going to open it up to people in my discord as well um, i'm planning to do it around once a month this you know six person level 21 shot and whoever wins kind of gets put on the bracket for like the battle of the champions type thing and yeah so i'm i'm still planning around that but i think um i'm going to do like off and on one for content creators one for our discord community and just kind of like flip-flop back and forth but yeah i mean there's a lot of tiktok creators now who have discords who have these big massive channels for finding players finding dms so that's that's awesome to see in the, in the creator space yeah it seems like these like micro TikTokers out there, you know, we've had a lot. At first, we were kind of like, um, we at first we kind of got some pushback a little bit uh, from people. I didn't want to kind of join us, I don't think. But Chris, he, yeah, he's, he's the one that kind of started RPD. He kind of just went with the approach, like, you know what, we're gonna bring everybody together that we can and kind of like grow together. And since yeah. like that inception, we've had, you know, we have so many people that come join our Discord or come talk to us, or now they're doing podcasts with us. And it's been a really good, like the community, the influencer community has been good to us overall. So it's been a good experience yeah, for us too. 
Yeah, like I, I love the content you guys put out. That's I followed you guys relatively early, and I think when you guys had around three to four thousand followers, when I stumbled across you guys on my for you page, and I mean, I I tend to like try to um, try to follow every every D and D content creator I I pass by my for you page, um, and you know I I do have plans on starting up my old podcast. I had a podcast very early on um, when I started on TikTok called the Storyteller Syndicate, where I inter- I interviewed other DMs and other players, and I was you know reaching out to smaller content creators, bigger content creators to kind of like spread around, and get their name out as well. So I'm planning to start that back up and reach out to a lot of the smaller content creators and use my platform to kind of bring them up as well. Yeah, you should, because, I mean, even the few people I've talked to, including yourself, every time I talk to somebody, it's like a totally new, whether it's Pathfinder or someone in the military or uh, Sensational joined, and we talk about, we talk about her non-binary, uh, you know, um, situation, for lack of a better term, and how it affects right. D&D. And every time yeah. I talk to somebody about D&D, there's a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of things that are different. And it's not like we're talking yeah. to people who have 100,000 followers. We're talking to, you know, regular right. people, and they have these great stories. So I must yeah. encourage you to do that because there's some people out there that have these fantastic stories. Oh, yeah, definitely. So you talked about Critical Role, which I'm a huge fan of personally. Same. Um, there's people that hate on Critical Role and there's people that, you know, say whatever yeah. they want to say. But in my opinion, and I'm just going to throw this out there, I think Matt's the GOAT. I think Critical Role is amazing. I'm almost done with campaign two. I didn't watch off campaign one, but I'm almost done with campaign two. I will be in a couple weeks. Uh, what do you think about Critical Role? What do you think about the Matt Mercer effect and just that John, that those guys in general? Um, you know, for me, I, it's hard not to be biased and say that you know Matt's the goat because that's who I stumbled upon first. But I mean, he's definitely like on the route, on the Mount Rushmore for me. You know, up there with um, with Brennan and B Dave. Uh, Chris Perkins as well. Joe Magnanello on Jocks Mock, you know, when he DMs, he's a really great DM as well. Um, But, I mean, as a whole, I mean, you can't knock for what they did. They broke into into the space massively and had a massive reach, especially the stuff that they do, um, you know, away from Critical Role, like the stuff for Red Nose Day with Stephen Colbert that they did uh, this past Thursday. Yeah, it was really great. Uh, It's (laughs) I, I couldn't I can't I couldn't stand Sam Regal flirting with Steven, man, that was great. Yeah. Um But yeah, I mean I think it's a lot of the controversy that follows him, which rubs people the wrong way. Um, you know, them not having any BIPOC creators. Uh previously before they had Robbie and um Amy Carrero on. Mm-hmm. Um but I mean I always said just give them a chance. You know, this, it doesn't change the story that they tell. What really drew me was the story. It wasn't the people behind it. Um, but very early on, I for sure got hit with the Matt Mercer effect. That's like who I wanted to be as a DM when I started DMing, and I failed miserably and wholeheartedly. And it was a good, it was a good wake up call. I, I I think that's like one of the very first videos that I had made was about the Mercer effect and. You shouldn't you shouldn't model yourself to be Matt. You should model yourself to be like the first you. You want to be authentic to yourself. And it's it's okay to take these aspects from all these other DMs, uh, big or small, or people that you come across to and you know, take that and shape that your own way of DMing. Um like for me personally, I'm a heavy improv DM. I I prep 
good luck. If I was to get a percentage, I like 20% prep and like 80% improv. I have plot points that might, you know, that is going to happen, but I let my players kind of navigate the world instead of kind of closing them off and putting them in that sandbox. My world is very open, and if they know where they want to go, but they want to go visit a different region first, perfectly fine. I, I roll with the punches, and um, I've always been very quick and witty with, um, with responses to almost anything, so... The first DM interaction I ever had, uh, I prepped the whole week, and then my players went left, and I had nothing. And it just, I just kind of ran with it. And I learned that session that my players had way more fun, where I was just like throwing things out, and they caught it. And I was like, oh, I can do a lot with that. And then I just homebrewed everything else. And that was the last time I ran a module. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, if we cut out of internet, I'm sorry here. I'm I'm in Dallas for work, and, and my internet's not the best here. But um, to go back to modules, I talked to everybody about modules versus their homebrewing them, their own stuff. And it seems like every DM eventually goes to the module, or away from the module route, and yeah. starts to homebrew everything. And I had the same experience you had. So was it that, that moment you realized, oh, I don't need to prep. I mean, I still prep personally a lot, but it's a, it's a, it's a lot of prep inside my own homebrew so when the time comes it's a lot more fun yeah um i mean the i can't say that i run like a big model like descent to a furnace cursed scribe the first thing i ever ran was the essentials kit um and it's very railroad and very sandboxy and the players that i originally had um it was my first time dming that point uh, I didn't know any of them, and they went completely left and wanted to do something else, and I just had nothing for it. There was nothing in the book telling me, you know, if they go here, do this or do that. So I kind of just had to figure it out on my own. And I think from that on forward, you know, I kind of learned very quickly that I, I want to tell my own story. I guess that's what really drew me into Critical Role. I mean, they're running their own whole world with, you know, some Forgotten Realms pantheons back at the time, and you know, all these other pantheons that they had in the game. But um, that's that's kind of what I did in my first campaign. You know, I had this big multiverse overworld, world, but I used all the planes still, had the gods and pantheons, Raven Queen, Asmodeus, and so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, I, I think just that one experience just rubbed me really wrong that there wasn't anything detailing what to do if they go in another way. Um, I'm not sure if that's the problem anymore. Um I haven't bought a campaign book in a really long time. I just buy source material now or 5e supplements, and that's pretty much the extent of what I buy now. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. Like, I picked up Fizbian's Treasury of Dragons, and I read through mm. it like five times in a row, and I was like, oh, I have so much more ideas. But it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to use this in a module. It was like, oh, I have, you know, yeah. like I took the, there was one little sentence about if somebody drinks a dragon's blood, it gets 1d6 effects. And one of them is you turn right. into a half dragon for a short amount of time. So I took I took that and I was like, I'm 100% using this somewhere. And I did use oh, it. Yeah. And somebody <laughs> drank a dragon's blood, turned into an amethyst dra half dragon. And every time he drank it, he turned nice. into it. So it was something in that book that I incorporated in. And I think everybody does that. Like every, I, I keep yeah. saying good DM, but I don't mean the word good DM. But I'm every DM who takes it super serious, they tend to yeah. like take those ideas and then expound upon them in their own world. Definitely. 
I did the same thing with the Coven system in um, Beyond the Witchlight. So when they introduced Covens, uh, I really like the idea of having these hags that have these kind of ulterior motives, but still help out the player characters. So I, I took all of that, well, the, the structure of it, and then just kind of molded it to fit my world. And uh, my players should be coming across the Coven pretty soon, but... Yeah, I mean things like that, um, like the dragon blood in your case. I mean, I think it's it's good to pick up source material and not just get it for the classes and spells. Actually, read through the book, mm-hmm. see what it has to offer, because there's always small tidbits that no one knew was there. Um, and yeah, coming across the dragon blood, like I didn't, I I have fizz bands. I never read the dragon blood thing, so now I'm gonna go look that up it, when yeah, we wrap it's, up. It's, it's like one little sentence somewhere. I have it highlighted, and I was like, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, what what do you think? What do you think of? I don't know if you got the chance to read Mordekin's. What is it? Mordekin's Guide to Monsters, the newest the newest book. Have you read it yet? Um, the multiverse one. Yeah, Mordekin's Guide to the Multiverse. Maybe that's it. Yeah, I have it? not. Oh, you have not. I have not. Yeah. No, because the only way to get it right now is you buy the 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 three pack source books. Yeah, I have two out of the three, so I'm like, I don't, I really don't need the extra books. So I'm like patiently waiting and like it's like pulling out my hair because it's like I don't know what the 30 races are. I I want to be surprised at the 30 races and all the extra spells and the creatures um, because I do need them. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I need them in my setting. So it's like, it's like the book came out perfect timing because I'm like, oh, where I'm taking this campaign, I'm going to need this eventually. So I'm glad that that book came out. But no, I haven't, haven't looked at anything yet. I've been pretty good at being spoiler-free, yeah. luckily. I'm, I'm not going to give anything away, but um, somebody at work I got in a D&D, he was like a rookie in a D&D, I guess. Well, he came to work one day, and he's the night shift on the day show, so I'm getting ready to go home, and he's just coming in. And he pulls all three books out. I was like, what's this? And he's like, I bought the pack, and this is in it. And I took it, and I was like, dude, you're working all night. Can I please take this home? I'll drop it off at your house the way in tomorrow so you can read it tomorrow. He was like, sure. Um, I, I'll just say one thing. It's, I'm not going to give anything away, but they, they definitely buffed a lot of the monsters for the players. Very nice. Which I think that's, that's, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the big issue right now with creatures is they're just very squishy, in my opinion. I mean, when they go up against my players who I have some min-maxers, I have some that have amazing feats or have amazing items, and when you put them all together in the room with a monster that is deadly, they end up completely demolishing it, and you're having to fix HP on the fly, give it some extra spells, um, give it pack tactics if it's, you know, if there's, if there's a group, and it's just... It's rough doing that on the fly. So, I mean, that's good to hear that they buffed some creatures. Yeah, and I felt the same way. I'm actually changing my tune on min-maxing because for the longest time as a DM, I was like, no min-maxing. Because if you if you go by the, the book, it's hard to – it's like legitimately almost impossible to kill your players if you go by like the challenge rating in the book. It's almost too easy. It's too stacked for the players. Yeah. So for a long time, I was like, eh, no, I'm not going to allow min-maxing. I don't allow Circle of the Moon Druid for the same reason now. I'm starting to change my tune. <clears throat> I'm starting to change my tune a little bit. I've been like conversing with Pathfinder players and and to see how they do battle and how much more difficult it is um, in the first few levels of Pathfinder. Just kind of you know, I'm never going to jump to Pathfinder, but I'm definitely going to play just to get a little bit more to bring it back to five e. But I think I'm going to start homebrewing my my creatures to be a lot more difficult 
and then that yeah. way it doesn't matter if they min max, it doesn't matter what they pick. So I think I'm start I think I'm gonna change it moving forward. Yeah. Like I, I think throughout my entire uh DMing career so far, I have not killed a player or TPK'd. And um I, I for the longest time for me I'm more about the story than the combat. Um and if there's something pivotal in the story that's going to happen to that one character and I can kill them, I majority of the time won't. But with this campaign that we just started, the Everdark, I'm completely changing that. I'm breaking my rule. <laughs> and uh, I, my players already know I have mercy until level five. After level five, I show no mercy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it is a fine line. I, I, I've talked to maybe 15 or 16 DMs. It's a fine line because, you know, you want to challenge your players, but then you don't. But if you look at, like, Matt, yeah. Matt Mercer, for the most part, he doesn't challenge him, doesn't challenge him, doesn't challenge him. Then it's like, boom. It, it's like they all look at each other like, oh, no, we have to go. Like the whole laughing hand situation or um, mm. Rakasha in campaign one where they're just like, yeah. everyone, get your stuff. It's time to go. And that, that's yeah. fun. Like when, when your players, like, have to regroup, you know, re-strategize revenge, that's like a fun yeah. storyline. Yeah, definitely. I do have something planned like that in this campaign that we have. Um, a lot of the fights have been very easy, and my players are, you know, like, "Oh, I didn't even get hit that that you know that that whole entire encounter." I'm like, yeah, you know, it's just gauging what everyone can do as a team. So now that I know what everyone is capable of, now I can adjust and put the right creatures in to fit the story and the narrative. And you know, some encounters are going to be a lot challenging than others. So. Um, it's good to build up their confidence and then slowly break it down. Yeah. <laughs> for the story. For the story. If if you go if you go and watch, um, we did a couple clips uh, on RPD, but if you go back and watch, I think it's episode twenty five where Critical Role meets the Briarwoods in Vox Machina. You kind of see that. Yeah. There's a there's a there's they're going into battle and they're all like laughing like oh this is gonna be fun oh I missed a shot haha and then like three quarters of the way through battle you it scans over to to Travis and he's like okay, who the hell are these people? Because they're starting to get stomped. And then, like, the tone changes, and they're all like, okay, how many spells do you have left? You know, table talk starts chattering, everybody starts going crazy. And that's, like, where it gets fun, where you're, like, you're kind of laughing, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're, you know, we might be in some serious trouble here. Yep. Uh, those are, like, my favorite moments, is, you know, when they're going all jolly in the encounter, like, oh, you know, we have all these items. We have, you know, we have our tank, we have our healer. And then the healer gets too hurt to heal anyone else. And then the tank is too far away to do anything. And the the sense of panic kicks in and the sense of urgency kicks in of, you know, do we fight or do we flight? Do we run? And yeah, I'm, I'm definitely building those moments in my campaign right now. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to telling that narrative for sure. Yeah, um, I've always thought when when I'm when the DM is not talking, it's like the most fun because I, there's had time. There's had times where I'm like, I've had to like almost railroad because everyone's like, man, I can't see what's going on. I can't do it. And then there's times where I don't talk for a whole hour, and they're like, okay, here's the plan. No, no, no we're not doing that. But well, we have to do that. But we don't have this healing potion. And like when the DM sits back and just watches, that's how you know the, you got the group. Like they're like, okay, we'll yeah. get through this. Um, yeah. So DM to player, what's your opinion? What's the difference? How'd you how'd you really get into DMing? And do you prefer to be a DM or a player? I mean, for me, I kind of fell into it, honestly. I didn't really, like I said, I, I had a group of friends who had a Wednesday game, but 
for me, I wanted to play before I jumped into their game. Um, at the time, they were playing like a salt campaign that was level, I think I want to say 14, 15 when I jumped in. Um, and for everyone watching who doesn't know what a Gestalt campaign is, it's a Pathfinder thing where essentially you have two characters and one body. So if you're a level 20 in Monk, you're also a level 20 in Paladin or, you know, so on and so forth. So um, I didn't want to jump in knowing anything and being that player like, wait, hold on. What does that mean? Which die it is? You know, I wanted to be somewhat knowledgeable before I jumped in. And I had bought the Stranger Things set. Uh, assuming that my wife would want to play with me, <laughs> and she did not. So I uh, jumped on the group finding page saying, you know, hey, I have this this Stranger Things starter set, um, you know, looking for a DM, looking for a DM, looking for a DM for like four days, and then nothing. But there was always like a flood of posts of players looking for a DM. So I just said, oh, what the hell, I'll just, I'll try it. And um, it was, that book in my opinion, is the easiest book to run. Like, the starter set, I looked at the starter set, I've, I've bought it as well. Stranger Things set's way easier. It literally holds your hand through the entire thing. Being a fresh DM, not knowing any rules, not knowing combat or how to run creatures or anything like that, it does by far the best job to show you how to DM and walk you through the entire thing. And that was that was my first encounter with it, and I did terrible. I didn't set scenes. I didn't talk about uh, what time it was, the weather, when they hit. I was just like, cool, do you want to do anything else? I didn't, you know, explain it hitting their chest or the effects that it has or if they're looking hurt, bleeding, so on and so forth. Um I thought I did horrible. And at the end of it, you know, they're like, oh my God, we had so much fun. Thank you for DMing. Hopefully we can start a game or something. And it built my confidence. But in my head, I'm like, dude, that was terrible. <laughs> but yeah, like looking back at it now, like the way I DM now and the way I did my first time, it's like a complete 180. It's hilarious to me. But yeah, I have, I have, yeah. Yeah, I have a very similar, almost exact. I think every, every DM who kind of just like, has the same has the same realization like nobody's pl being a DM I'll just do it they have like the same situation and if they're lucky enough like you and myself to be honest have like a good group that just like keeps your confidence built and you can get better and better and better that's amazing but you said Stranger Things is this like a starter pack I've never heard about this thing yes it is a it is a very old starter set I believe it came out. Um, pre-pandemic i want to say but i found it like i think it was a target exclusive actually um i think you can get it on amazon still it's like 20 ish dollars about the same price as the starter set it comes with the same thing it comes with um a, a stranger things-esque adventure so like you go to the upside down you fight a demigorgon awesome. um you fight i think it's it's a it's a hydra but not like you know the false hydra that that we all know it's like a dumbed down version hydra the false um, hydra is so hot right now everybody's talking about yeah that. everyone's talking about the false hydra it's a hydra you still get your fix if you want to play it but yeah. uh it's a level three adventure if i remember correctly it comes with um with two dice sets which is pretty cool it comes with a pre-painted demigorgon from stranger things and an unpainted one if you want to try your hand at painting and it comes with pre-made characters based on the Stranger Things. There's the Stranger Things cast 
Dungeons and Dragons characters that they played in the show. So that's what really drew me because me and my wife had just finished watching all of the Stranger Things seasons. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, I've been wanting to try D&D and it's Stranger Things. That's hella dope. Uh, I'll just buy it anyways. And and yeah, it's uh, it pretty much it's pretty cut and dry. I mean, it tells you, you know, to it tells you literally everything what to do, like how to set the scene. It literally says, DM, read this. And you just read this long paragraph, see if the players interact. If not, cool. And then it just kind of just directs you one after another. And um, I think it's a pretty good, well-versed adventure, in my opinion. I mean, there's there's a little bit of a dungeon crawl. There's a maze. There's a few puzzles. There's not a dragon, but there's a hydra, which is, you know, you, you could say, yeah, you know. But... I feel like if you're brand new to Dungeons and Dragons and you want to try your hand at DMing or even playing, and you have a group of friends who uh, who want to play, I would definitely pick that up. I mean, it's it's one of the easiest modules to run, and um, if you don't want to, if you don't really like Stranger Things, pick up the Rick and Morty set. That's equally as easy to run. It's just a fat dungeon crawl, and it's just a never-ending um, Rick puns at oh. every direction. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, that's another fun set as well. I have that set. Me and my buddies were going to run it as like a cool little one-off one-shot because it's just a big dungeon crawl. We got like halfway into it, but there's 38 rooms. Oh, my god! And we were just... We we just dick around a lot when we play, so yeah. we'll we'll run into a dungeon, and I was DMing it, and I'll like read the little Rick pun that's in it, and then we just crack up laughing and then just start talking about Rick and Morty and then forget that we're even playing. Yeah, yeah it's... You know, um, sorry, go ahead. Uh, but yeah, but to answer your question for me, because I didn't really answer it. Um, yeah, what DMing the being a player? I mean, I prefer to play. I mean, what DM doesn't prefer, you know, to roll dice and not have to worry about a story. But um, I, I'm still wrestling back and forth with it. I, I feel like I like DMing more than I like being a player. But um, I I get invi- I get invited to you know guest spot on people's uh, podcast or uh, their live plays or their games. Or even to come in as an NPC, and that's always super fun to me. If I can come in for a one shot or be like a one off NPC, more than happy to, because that's 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 more fun for me to come in, lend my uh, abundance of voices that everyone loves and that I'm known for. I, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, Chris Cisco, you heard it here. We have a new NPC player, <laughs> so we're gonna hold you to that. Yeah, man. If you need me, give me a call. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah. Now. Now we're definitely gonna do it. We've been running these one shots. You know what? You know what's funny about one shots is we keep calling them one shots. And Chris mm-hmm. did the first one. I did the second one. Cisco's about to do one. If you didn't know, it's basically me, Chris, Cisco, and a couple other people with RPD. Um, and Chris wrote a really short one. It lasted almost three sessions. He did that, and I was like, okay. You know, a lot of these players are experienced that are coming to us on on Discord. So the the tavern mm-hmm. takes like two hours because you just gotta have so much fun, right? Yeah. So, I'm like, okay, we're going to be in one room. Uh, we're going to be in one house, and there's like six rooms. This cannot go more than a few hours. We got to the second room at hour four, and I had to cut it off. And I'm like, man, this is like impossible to write a one-shot when people are having yeah. fun because everyone's like mm-hmm. you know, doing their own thing, looking around, casting spells. So um, one, yeah. one-shots are actually much harder, I feel like, to write than like a storyline. Yeah. Um, I mean, it also depends on like what type of one-shot you're trying to run. Like I ran a special everdark one shot that um is our is our campaign it's called the everdark and i ran a one shot that took place five years before our party initially met 
and writing it out, it was supposed to be like a, I timed it around three and a half, four hours. And we were like just shy of five hours in just because I have art. I'm lucky enough that my group um, is really big on role play. So they they love talking to NPCs, love talking to people, love talking to each other and figuring out each other's backstories. Um, but that that's a tiny hindrance sometimes. <laughs> so it's like uh, I usually am, am really receptive when I see that they're asking questions. So I keep the conversation going for a little bit. Um, and then I get lost in it as well because some of the questions they ask, I would have never thought they asked. So then I have to come up with something that's relevant to the story or that's going to make sense at the end of it. So it's uh it, it's rough it's rough for me especially knowing my players because they they love to figure everything out um but yeah i mean one shots are are rough to plan for sure they turn into mini arcs or mini stories that take three or four sessions to finish and then at the end of it well really just keep it going and just start a campaign yeah. That's <laughs> just how it happens when people say one shot i always think i'm ahead like this might be a three-year campaign you never know yeah Definitely, definitely. So, what's your favorite PC that you've played, and what's your favorite NPC that you've created, and why? Oh, man, you're hitting me with the toughest questions, because my D&D Beyond account, dude, <laughs> so many characters, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but so long. But um, I think if I had to pick a favorite PC, it would probably be my Gasalt character. Uh, his name was Eli Stormwalker, and... He was a um, oathbreaker. Uh, oath bla- uh, he was an oathbreaker paladin, and no, he was a war cleric. He was a war cleric and a way of the Kensei monk, and he had broke his. Um, he had broke his. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like his promise that he'd made to be a cleric. It's a word, and I'm not great with words. My my party knows this. My grammar is terrible. But um, they broke that, and um, they were serving Tiamat. And uh, the whole thing of the campaign was is um, one of our players was getting sparks, was pretty much taking out gods, getting their sparks, so they can rule the, they can rule the, nine, the nine levels of hell. And um, my character... Knowing that, didn't want to help him, but then uh, they had got a conversation with Tiamat, and Tiamat had quested me to find the pieces of her crown, put it back together so that way it could free her. And then I talked to my DM, and I was like, you know, that's a great idea, but I want that power instead. <laughs> and uh, we uh, at the end of it, I ended up pretty much taking Tiamat's place. I ended up becoming the dragon god of chaos, <laughs> and... Uh, another party member ended up becoming a primordial god, and another one of our players became like the lich god, or like the god of liches, and it's just, oh my god, the amount of stuff my character can do, he can turn into like a big chromatic dragon, and I had, I can wield every breath weapon of Tiamat, so I was doing like 24 d6s, and like three of my stats were thirty because I was uh, I was a god and it's it was just so much fun. I if definitely want to do a Gasol campaign sometime soon because it was just it was nuts the stuff that we the stuff that we could do. But uh, man, NPC probably I use the same voice for both of these NPCs, um, but his name is uh, Bartholomew Chungus Ginger Snap the Third. <laughs> he's he's this big 
hamster that I uh, I just kind of reflavored Tabaxi to fit the giant hamster. Yeah. Uh, so think of like Boo, pretty much. He was like a big Boo. Like from DBZ? Oh. Uh, no, from uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know if I'm familiar. Mince and Boo, they're like uh, one of the icons of the realms. Uh, they just put him in Spelljammer as like a really big hamster. I don't know oh, if you watched the D and D direct. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I know what you're talking about now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just, it pretty much. I pretty much took that because that was my inspiration for it. I was like, oh, I really want to have this big hamster. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I made him uh, the god of wealth in my first campaign, and he had an item for every adventurer in the world. But the whole thing is, is uh, you, if you're looking for him, you're never gonna find him. He's gonna find you eventually when you're ready. And uh, the voice I use is kind of like Kermit the Frog, so that's like. <laughs> my players love that so that's awesome i wanted to use it again in our everdark campaign but um i had one of my original players for my first campaign come back and uh be in the cast for our streamed everdark campaign and i was like oh i don't want to use them again because it's a different world in this world there's no gods and no pantheon so like you were either born with magic or taught it it's a super long thing so I was like, it wouldn't make sense for him to be there. So I was like, what can I make t- to use the same voice to kind of have the same character that's like super happy-go-lucky and careless? So then I made Wardle the Tortle. <laughs> he uses the same voice, and he's part of uh, the Moonlight Coven in my and the Everdark, and he's just this super, like, one of the best mages in my world, and he's also a giant stoner. But all of the stuff he uses to to smoke out of his long pipe, it grows on his back. So it's like it's like moss. So he always just scrapes his back and then just hacks his pipe. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and he uses the same voice. <laughs> the, the, those are awesome PCs, NPCs. Uh, my very first char- character was a turtle, and nice. I it's like it's like the one that people sleep on. Turtles. I think turtles mm. are dope. People sleep yeah. on that one a lot. Definitely. Natural AC, man. Too good. And you can hide in the shell and not yeah. take damage. Yeah, you can just hide in your shell. Um, what is your favorite class in race? Oof. Favorite class, monk. Hands down. Really? Okay. I love monks. I love monks. I will live and die by monks. If I get to play in anyone's game, I'm usually a monk. Half of the time, I'm like, oh, let's say like 70% of the time I'm a monk. Um, it's just the first class I ever played. It's the, the class that I've always had the most fun. Um... It also happens to be one of my favorite Critical Role characters classes, which is Bo. I loved Bo in Critical Role, and she was a badass. So I was like, man, I, I got to play Monk sometime. And now I, I just love playing Monks. I've played almost every single class of Monk, but my favorite Monk by far is Way of the Kensei. I mean, it's Death Strike is just too good. And then every time you punch something, you Stunning Strike. I mean, it, it's like self-explanatory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bo, Bo took, down some, took down some foes with Stunning Strike in Critical yeah. Role. Sometimes we're like, like, God damn it, dope ass monk shit. And then you'd see Matt like, damn, that stunning strike gets me every time. So yeah, mm-hmm. they're they're no joke at all. Um, favorite yeah. race. Um, favorite race. I bounce around a lot with races actually. Um, I've been playing a lot of reborn, the reborn lineage from um, um, Ravenloft. I think it's a super well versed uh, class. I mean. The free ASIs are, are dope. And then I love the whole getting put into a vessel and not remembering where you came from. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm big on backstories. Like I can come up with backstories on the fly, like nobody's business. And I will give my DM pages of backstory. But when I played a reborn, I said to my DM, I, I don't want to know whose body I'm in. And I don't want to remember anything. I was like, here you go. <laughs> give me everything you want. Give me all the trauma because the way we, the way reborns work is when they make an ability check, um, you roll a D six and that's what type of memory you receive from your past life. And I really loved that that line Ravenloft, so I really wanted to run with it and take it for what it was. Um, but other than that, I mean, I I play a lot of Tabaxis, and um, I like I like playing a, a good old halfling every now and then. Halflings are pretty fun. Um, Goliaths as well. Uh, I played a Goliath that was um, orphaned into a dwarven family, so he just believed he was a really really big dwarf. <laughs> That's awesome. I play. I played a Goliath, uh, but it was a Goliath cleric that was like a super nerd. So he wasn't like a barbarian. Like everyone plays a barbarian Goliath, but I didn't do that. I played just a nerdy right. cleric that was like behind the lines and everything. And that's probably my most fun is when I play characters that really aren't supposed to. Be. I play goblin paladins, uh, things like that. I think those are a lot of fun. I haven't played a goblin yet, and I, I have like an idea for a goblin. And I, I always, I always tell myself that I'm gonna play one eventually, but I never do. But that's definitely on my list to play a goblin. Yeah, yeah. Um, where do you see? We'll wrap this up with this. I always like to ask people this question on the last one, but where do you see yourself in five, ten, fifteen years in D and D? Ooh, man, that's a deep question. Um, you know, you. Before this past like two weeks, I would say probably still on Twitch, grinding everything out. Um, like my end goal is to, you know, just expose as much people as I can to D and D with um, with the stories that we tell. And um, I'm trying to like stray away from stories that have been told before. Um, Almost every story that I've seen been played or been told on Twitch, YouTube, wherever it may be, um, has always had some type of form of gods or pantheon. So I wanted to stray away from that and do something fresh and new, which was what I did with my world. Um, but um, recently, I mean, I feel like sky's the limit from here. Um, when I did the charity stream... Um, uh, I reached out to the Storytime guy who's on TikTok as well, who played in the charity stream. Mm -hmm. And I had made an announcement at the end of that stream that I was going to be running a Aztec-inspired one-shot with a full Latino, uh, with the full Hispanic and uh, Latinx cast, which, to my knowledge, there's not really any Hispanic or Latinx full cast. Um, and that, like, kind of, like, poked me probably me the wrong way and you know why isn't there something that's out there like this um so i wouldn't say that like i'm the first i'm sure there's um you know there's a full hispanic cast somewhere but um you know i got connected with some with some big people in the community the hispanic community um i'm still actively looking for a cast but so far we have Sophia Alexander, the, exec the executive producer and creator of Onyx Equinox on Crunchyroll that's going to be playing. Oh, nice. Um, we have uh, Terry Blas, who wrote Reptile at Marvel, which is a Hispanic superhero. So we, you know, putting it out there I've getting, and getting connected with these massive names in the community. 
it really like opened my mind to the idea that I may have something here. Um, and you know, I'm just full steam ahead on, on everything. And I'm doing a whole bunch of research on Aztec mythology and pantheons lore. And just so I want to get it as accurate as possible because Hispanic and Latinx representation in D and D is, is very minute. It's not relatively there, even in source material, there's not really anything there. Um, I know uh, wizards do have some Hispanic writers that write for them, but you know, it. I feel like it's time. You know, especially you know, it's twenty twenty two. There should be some type of um, full Hispanic or Latinx cast podcast stream game something out there that uh, represents us um, and in this space. So that's that's what I'm aiming to do. So within the next five years, I I hope to establish something like that um, within our Ready Set Crit. Um, our group um, to have something that's a full campaign or a series of arcs telling different stories, um, not just spanning on Aztec, but maybe Mayan or modern day um, Hispanic communities or events of something of that nature, just to tell stories and um, familiarize not just um, the Hispanic community, but just the tabletop community as a whole. Yeah, I think it's amazing. You know what you're doing and I didn't even know that until you said that so it's kind of like blowing my mind but if you look at other cultures in D&D they're non-existent yeah and it's a shame because my the very first conversation I had on this podcast was with sensational I don't know if you're you don't I don't know if you know her or them or not yeah I follow them as well yeah yeah so I was talking to them about um, Japanese culture because they're tied to it in some sort of way and mm-hmm. I was like I'm a huge fan of a lot of Japanese culture I was like man there's such a market for this and they mm-hmm. were like yeah they did that oriental like 3.5 and I, I saw some of it and i heard it heard about it and i know it was like atrocious so to hear that you're actually going out there and doing the work on you know aztec culture and you come from a different culture i think it's only going to make it better because i mean literally since its inception it's been white dudes like straight up it's, it's that's what it's been it's been white dudes yeah so it's time for people to get out there and get other you know races cultures into this um so definitely so what you're doing is amazing dude you're gonna have to keep me posted on that uh maybe get one of us an invite to come play one shot with you guys sometime oh yeah definitely but where can people find you uh moving on how can they get a hold of you and how can they what can they do to help you um you can find me literally everywhere whence is the dm i'm on twitter instagram tiktok twitch um, you can also find me on Reset Crit. That's the group that we started with some other amazing content creators, um, suitably Mags, Meg, not Margaret, uh, Mystics and Mythos, to name a few. Um, we all started the Ready Set Crit group as a collective to you know tell stories that haven't been told in D anD. d So you can definitely check us out by uh, following our Ready Set Crit on Twitch as well. Um, what you guys can do to help me is uh, you know just spread you know spread the word that you know i'm trying to start something here that hasn't been started to my knowledge and um you know we can get as if we can get as much noise as possible to get some other heavy hitters in the hispanic community to share the word as well um as well as if you want to purchase some of our merch our merch store is open it's in the links all the links are in my bio and you know i just want to say again thank you for for having me on as well as sponsoring the charity stream uh two weeks ago as well. It was a really big help and uh, helped us draw a bigger crowd as well. Yeah, no, that was a, a no-brainer for us, and that was awesome. And, you know, thanks to you. Thanks for coming on, Wences. And um, I'm going to hold you to that NPC. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely going to have you on there. But otherwise, 
Uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. Anytime. All right. See you later. Bye, guys.